Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we'll be talking about Genesis 19 through 34 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hey guys, welcome to our second podcast of FNT Bible Talk. Today we're talking about Genesis 19 through 34, but before we jump in, we just wanted to recap last week pretty quickly. So last week we discussed creation, how we fell as a human race and disobeyed God, and ultimately our just rebellion against God and his plans for our life. But then God's kind of redemptive story begins to take place through a man named Abraham and his family. So today we'll be jumping into Abraham's family as it continues and kind of unfolds, and we'll be introduced to some new characters that are very pinnacle to the story, Isaac and Jacob. So today what we want to do is, one of the things that we go through this the Bible reading podcast is that I want you to think about the way we're going to look at the scriptures is we're really going to look at it from like a 30,000 foot view. So we're really looking at the overall picture from 30,000 uh 30,000 foot view, but at times we will zoom down right on top of something. So we'll go up and we see the big picture and then sometimes we'll zoom right back down to look at the fine details of some stories. And we wish we could do that for all of them, but truthfully with the time we have, we're just going to have to look at the big picture for a lot of things. So we're going to pick up today again where we left off last week with Abraham. And if you remember last week, we really left off with Abraham and God had come and visited him in chapter 18. And had told him, you and Sarah are going to conceive a child in this next year. And so the promised one that Abraham has been waiting 24 years to happen is finally coming to pass. God has spoken the promise. God has revisited him. He's even told Sarah this. And they are beginning, I'm I'm sure there's excitement and zeal within their hearts for it. And right when God does that, immediately in chapter 20, Abraham goes to a new land. And when he gets there, he tells the same thing. He makes the same mistake that he made from earlier in the Bible where he allows his wife, Sarah, to be taken by another man, by uh, Abimelech, and God once again intervenes and rescues. And I just think it's it's amazing because you could really see Satan at work here, right? That God had come to Abraham and said, look, the promise is coming. The seed is going to come this next year. And immediately you see how Satan would try to come and destroy the seed by getting Sarah, by Abimelech, or leading Abimelech to take Sarah to his own and to ruin the plans of God. But God wasn't going to allow that to happen. And so God was faithful to that. And so God, he saved, he saved Sarah. And despite uh, Abraham's failures, he still allowed the heir to continue. And so he rescued Abraham, he rescued Sarah and the plan continued on. And so in chapter 21, it's very quickly, it's not, it's not a detailed story, but you see the birth of Isaac just pop up, right? And so God saves Sarah and Sarah gives birth to Isaac and the promised son is there. The, the son that Abraham has been waiting for, the son, the one whom all the nations would be blessed, would come through and his lineage and how he would have make a, a great name out of him and all these different things is finally here. And so Abraham is probably so excited. I mean, his life, like this is what he's been waiting to hear God say to him mm-hmm. for the past 25 years. And, and so you would think that the end of Abraham's life is now, the climax has happened, but really the climax of Abraham's life really turns to in chapter 22, when God comes to Abraham 
and he tests him. And Becca's going to tell you a little bit about what that test was. So I'll just kind of go through the story. So we, we come into Genesis 22, just like Felix said, just after Isaac is born and you think that everything's good now, everything is seems to be going uphill. And then God tells Abraham in chapter 22, basically, Abraham, get up, take your son, go to this mountain and sacrifice him. And it's funny, if you've never read the Bible before, you might come across this chapter and just be like, wait, what? God, I don't understand. God, you've been promising Abraham a son, and all of a sudden you want him to sacrifice him now? Like, I don't understand what's going on. And us as readers of the Bible who have read this story so many times know that this is a testing of Abraham's faith. But it's funny to see, like, if you've never read this story before, you might be thinking, what on earth is happening here? And so basically the story goes through and we see Abraham, he takes Isaac, his son, and he takes two servants and they go on this three-day journey. And on the third day, they finally get to the bottom of the mountain. And he said, okay, servants, you stay here. Me and the son are going up ourselves. So he puts the wood on Isaac's shoulders and they go up. He takes the knife in hand. Basically, he lays out everything as um, a typical um, sacrifice, a burnt offering would happen in that day. And he binds Isaac onto the altar. I, you, Who knows what Isaac's thinking at this point? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. But literally, just as Abraham is about to basically just um, give him up as a burnt offering and slaughter him, God comes and tells Abraham to stop. And in the midst of that, right after God tells Abraham to stop, he provides a ram and a ram is caught in the, the bushes off to the side. And he says, take this and put it on the altar in replace of your son. And so we see here a really climatic story of God um, testing Abraham's faithfulness to him. And in our things to think about section this week, we asked the question, what is the significance of God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And and I kind of want to answer that for a moment. And what is so significant about that? I think the first thing we have to understand is that God, the significance is this. God was testing Abraham's trust and loyalty and faith in him. He was really testing Abraham. Do you trust me? Are you loyal to me? And yeah. And we have to understand God does do these things. And, in, and he's also, in a way, he's, he's testing Abraham's faith, but he's testing the quality of his faith. And even in our lives as Christians, maybe we won't go under, and we won't go under a test like this where we have to sacrifice a son or daughter, but we are tested. The scripture does say God allows testings into our life to test the quality mm-hmm. or how genuine our faith was or the strength of our faith. And so just like Abraham, we see you know, our lives can even be tested. But God does come to Abraham and, and it's significant because he's asking him to trust him and to, to remain loyal to him. But it's not like he's just asking him to trust or remain loyal to something small because he says to him, you know, take your son, your only son. But if you know the scriptures that we've been reading, this isn't Abraham's only son. Mm-hmm. He has another son. Yeah. But this is the only son of the promise. This is the only son of Sarah. This is the only son that God intended the, the, the hero, the serpent crusher to come through was through Isaac. And so mm-hmm. he's basically saying the, blessed, the, the promise and the blessed one and the one that's going to come through this and mm-hmm. save the day, the hero that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, is going to come through this line. Do you trust me with this? And so it's a humongous test of mm. Abraham's faith in God and belief in God. And Scripture even says that Abraham did not waver even in his life. But in this moment, Abraham's faith was so strong mm. and it was true. 
in, the, in Hebrews, we read about how he said, even if God were, even if he did sacrifice him, Abraham believed God would raise him from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so regardless, Abraham believed that God was going to remain faithful through this. And he believed God to be good, regardless of what God had asked him to do. And, I, and, and he maybe didn't understand it all, but he knew for sure that God was going to be good. And so it was a great test of Abraham's faith, um, his loyalty, and, and just trust in God. And so the second part we ask is, um, not what, and we need to consider, or now consider, why did God provide the ram instead? And this is a great point, I think, that we have to understand. Why did God provide the ram? It, it's super important for us to understand this, that what the ram demonstrated was God's fit, covenant faithfulness to make Isaac the promise heir, right? And so it was it, the ram represented that I am going to make Isaac that promise heir. And it was a reminder to Abraham that as critical as his trust and loyalty and faith that were just tested, as critical as those things are, it was still on God's faithfulness and covenant loyalty that the promise ultimately rests. Mm-hmm. And we know that because back in Genesis 15, we even looked at that God wants, he passed through those animals and he said, Abraham, this covenant I make with you will be based on my faithfulness mm-hmm. and not yours. And so even though God did test Abraham's faith and trust and loyalty, the mm-hmm. covenant still relied upon God. And the ram proved that, that God mm-hmm. would bring the provision to maintain the covenant with Abraham, mm-hmm. and the covenant would not be broken. Mm-hmm. And I love um, just something that I, I think about in this story is that, you know, God's faithfulness is is always there. It's always constant. And where God tests, God always provides. Amen. And it is awesome to see Abraham was a man of faith, that his faith yeah. did prove to be true. And he trusted God and with everything, with his only son and the promise here. And, and as the scripture goes in the rest of that chapter is that God says, I'm going to bless you for this because he did. He said, now I know, Abraham, that I can trust you. Right? He says, now I know, Abraham, because of this and, and because of what you've done, that you did not withhold your son, your only son, that promised son. I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the mm-hmm. sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, right? And so it's like he's rehashing all these things he's already promised to him, and he's saying, you truly shall receive this because you've Mm -hmm. been faithful. And so Abraham Abraham is an amazing man, and this story that we can read about in his life is such an encouragement for us. And so we move on, and Abraham, obviously we talk about Isaac, and at this point, Abraham's life, uh, the story kind of takes a turn that Abraham is kind of, the story transitions in a way where Abraham is no longer the main character, and uh, he eventually passes away, but it transitions where Isaac becomes the focal point for a moment, and Isaac, the son of Abraham, has a few moments also in this, but like I said earlier, we're going to take a 30,000-foot view that we're not going to be able to dive down on every single thing that we're looking at. And so we're going to kind of pass over some of the things in Isaac, but I want us to understand that in chapter 24, Isaac marries uh, Rebekah, and this marriage was set up by his father, Abraham, uh, once again, a great man. And, And from this marriage, there comes two sons. And so Isaac is a lot like his father in many ways. He receives the same blessing that his father received, and God reaffirms that covenant with him, and he reaffirms that same type of relationship of blessing with Abraham as he did with Isaac. But when he gets to chapter 25, what we see is Rebekah and Isaac are now having sons, and they have two particular sons. And what we want to look at here is we want to look at a little bit about both. And so what we're going to do is Becca's going to talk a little bit about their births and then read us um, about 
Esau selling his birthright. So um, in Genesis 25, 21 through 23, it says, Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled with together within her, so she's having twins. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And so we see here that eventually she conceives, she gives birth to Jacob and to Esau. It talks about that uh, she loves Jacob and Isaac loved Esau. And anyway, we go on to see that Jacob was um, a man of the house, that he kind of stayed indoors. Um, His mother really loved him and that Esau was a hunter and that he was always out hunting game and he was very skilled in all things um, outdoors. And so we see them. Okay, so we have this kind of set the stage. And um, basically we see a story between Esau and Jacob. And one day, Esau is out hunting, and he he comes out from his day of hunting. It must be a long day. He's very tired, very weak after his long day of working. And basically, he asks Jacob to um, pour him a little bowl of lentils, a little bowl of lentil soup. And Jacob asks him, well, I want your birthright. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you my birthright. Just give me that bowl of lentils. And so we see Esau giving his birthright, which if we know anything about a birthright, the birthright was the natural privilege of the firstborn son. So if you received the the birthright, you know, the firstborn would become the head of the family. So we know that that was like a huge privilege. So we know that if I, um, Isaac was to die, that Esau was going to be the one that would take over the family business, let's let's say, would have the charge of the family, would have the, the family uh, property, the everything that Isaac had would go to Esau. And so this was a big deal. And so whenever Jacob asks him for this in exchange for a bowl of lentil soup and Esau gives it to him, we see that it was a really big problem here in the story. And there's several things we can learn about this story, and it's it, it's an it, there's a lot that uh, our own lives we can see, and so we ask the question: What can we learn from Esau's story, or the or of him selling his birthright? And there's several things that I immediately see. I think number one, we have to understand the situation that Esau came into. It says that he when he came inside from hunting all day, uh, is that he was exhausted. Right. Mm-hmm. And that he made a decision when he was very exhausted and worn out. And there's times in our lives where we become exhausted or we become broken. Maybe the cares of this life or the things of this life or the challenges of life wear us down. And in those moments, we become weak to temptations or things around us to pull us in a certain direction away from the things of God. And for Esau's life, he came in very exhausted and just tired. And just honestly, he was, it was so it was easy for him to make that compromise and sell his birthright. But I think one of the things we have to also look at is that what this story tells us about Esau is that he was somebody who lived for an instant gratification. And if we're being honest, that is very much our society today is that we do. We have people who just live for instant gratification. And that's exactly what Esau was doing. He was somebody who wanted a momentary relief, right, because of something that was going on in his life, because of the exhaustion. And so he was willing to trade away the birthright. But we, we have to understand it wasn't just like a birthright like everybody else's in that day. It was the divine birthright of God. Yeah. It was a divine birthright of the blessed one 
who was going to come through that line. And so he was trading away not just a birthright, but the birthright that would bless the whole entire world that Abraham received in Genesis 12, saying that I will bless you and you will bless the nations. And through you, I will mm-hmm. bless all the nations of what God told Abraham. And Esau traded that away for a bowl of beans, essentially. And it was really because he was so not understanding the value of what he had. And, you know, he was a man who didn't live for the future or did not see the future, but was only caught up in the here and now or that one single moment. And he didn't understand what was God really doing. And so he lived just wanting to gratify what he or what he wanted in that very moment. And I think that's significant for us in our lives today is that we have to understand there are many things that we have in Christ Jesus many blessings that have been given to us, promises, wonderful birthrights, because we are now adopted as sons and daughters of God, mm-hmm. that in a moment of weakness or a moment of exhaustion, we will trade those things away because we desire relief from the things that we are going through. Mm-hmm. And so we are weighed down by challenges of this life, and you know, there's some temptation comes our way, and we're like, it's just this one time, I'll take this bowl of beans, and we trade away the riches of God and the riches of Jesus Christ for a, a measly bowl that honestly just for Esau, the sad part is that bowl never satisfied. He would be hungry again three hours later, right? <laughs> yeah. And just like ourselves, when we trade away the beautiful things that we receive from God as sons of his for things that just don't satisfy. But the beauty mm-hmm. of that also is that Jesus doesn't throw us away and neither does the Father, right? If we've traded away things, we are still his son and he has not cast us aside. Mm-hmm. But there's so much to learn from Esau's life in seeing that mm-hmm. and just how he was a man who um, just lived for that moment and not live for the eternal things, mm-hmm. um, but live for that that the, the instant gratification. And, and that's even what the writers say, is that he despised his birthright. And the, he, mm-hmm. the writers of Hebrew, he, Hebrews even picked this up them, himself and just really expounded on that, of how much he despised that very thing. He despised the blessing of God, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sad story, but it does show us, even our own lives, what we can learn from that. Mm-hmm. I remember Pastor Lee always used to say when I was in high school that don't trade what you want most for what you want now. And... Um, you remember whenever he said mm, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it always stuck with me, and it, it always, you know, kind of comes up when I read this story because how many times, you know, have I traded what I wanted most for something that just would relieve me of my pain, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. just that moment? And I think that's what Esau, you know, we see that Esau did that here. Um, but, you know, kind of transitioning from Esau, you know, we always, whenever we read this story, especially whenever I was a kid, I would always read this story and be like, well, Esau's the bad one. Um, but to be honest, when you look at Jacob, dude, they're, they're pretty bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> Not much better. Uh, I like, I just giggle cause like, I'm just as bad as both of these people are and we all are. But you know, we read this story and we're like, man, Jacob's just as horrible as Esau is. Um, and if you, if you look up the meaning of Jacob's name, um, it means supplanter, which essentially is like to replace. Um, and so Basically, we see Jacob um, is just kind of also in his own bad way, you know, doing what he wants. And um, but God ends up turning his life around. So Felix is going to kind of talk about that. But Jacob, meaning supplanter, the replacer, kind of comes in and does a few bad things of his own. Yeah. Um, And it's true. This story does kind of introduce us to Jacob's character and the kind of man he is. Um, But he really it it shows us from the get go. I mean, the dude just stole his brother's birthright like 
You know, it's not like you would think he he would be like, oh, I love my brother. I want the best for him. But no, it was like, no, I want what's best for me. And so from the beginning of the story, we do see Jacob as somebody who's very motivated, unlike his brother Esau on the future. He is motivated on the future, but it is for selfish ambition and selfish mm-hmm. gain. And that's one of the things we see about Jacob is that he at this point in his life is very much like it's about me and what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about this story also is that it reveals to us that God takes messed up people who are just <laughs> deceivers and not so good people and says, I'm going to use them. I'm going to mm-hmm. change them and I'm going to have an encounter with them and I'm going to cause their lives to be changed. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we see him kind of do a similar thing in chat, in Genesis uh, 27, where if you know the story, which we've read it, um, that J- Jacob... Um, his or I'm sorry, Isaac, his father wants to bless Esau. He's getting, he's old at this point and he wants to bless him before he dies. And so he tells Esau to go out into the woods and, and get some game and cook it for him and bring him the stew that he loves and that he would bless him. And so, uh, Jacob and his mother hear about this and, and they come up with a plan together of how they are going to steal the blessing and they do so. And they, he puts hair on his hands and his neck, and he deceives his blind old father, is what the scripture says. And it just kind of reemphasizes, man, this guy's, I mean, he, 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 he lied, like straight lied to his blind father's face, and, and just, he's not a great guy at this point. <laughs> and again, he's doing it very much for a selfish reason, for like, yeah. I want it. I want the blessing. I want the birthright. I want it to be about me. And he's living very much about his own life, and he's in charge of his life. And as far as from what we can see, nobody else is in charge of it. He's running the ship. And Mm -hmm. so when that happens, Esau says, I'm going to kill him. When dad dies, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm not going to let him live. I'm not going to let him survive, but he's going to, he's going to pay for this. And so we see him. And so his mother hears about this and his mother sends him away. Yeah. So now we see that Jacob decides to flee because obviously his brother wants to kill him. So he is going to flee to Laban, his uncle's house. And on his way there, he has an encounter with God. In Genesis 28, we see that he has this encounter with God. He goes to sleep and he dreams and there's this dream. Um, and basically what what's in the dream is God is telling him that his offspring shall and through all of his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you wherever you go. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to do what I promised you, basically. And even though Jacob basically says, surely, like, God is in this place, at the end of this scripture, he says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. And so it's really important to point out here, yes, we see that Jacob had an an encounter with God and that God came and met him. And he's aware of what God is is kind of doing here. Still at the end of this scripture, he says, well, if God will do this and be with me and be this and give me bread, then he'll be my God. So kind of at this point, we see that even though he is recognizing that it's the God of his father and that he is God, he's not recognizing yet, I'm going to submit to whatever the Lord wants. But he's basically saying, if you do what I want, then I'll submit to you. Yeah. And what else is amazing about this is that this is kind of the first part we see God is chasing Jacob. Like, even though he's not a great guy so far, 
God is chasing him because God loves him. And God is presenting himself to Jacob and saying, the blessing I gave Abraham, the blessing I gave Isaac, I want to give it to you now. I want that relationship with you that I had with them. And he kind of tells God, well, if you do this, okay. You know, and so there is this sense of like he's encountering God, but he's still not fully there yet. And so after we see that, you know, so it's kind of building up to this point of the story where we see that God is not through at all yet with Jacob. And and it's cool to see. So we move on into Genesis 29. He gets to Laban's house and then he meets this beautiful woman, Rachel, and he falls in love with her. And so he says, "Okay, well, I'm going to work seven years and so Rachel can be my wife. And Laban agrees to the terms. He works seven years. And through whatever craziness that happens, I don't know all of the culture um, normalities of what happened on a wedding night. But basically, he goes in to marry Rachel. And it's not Rachel. It's Leah. So he give, Laban gives his oldest daughter, Leah, to him. Jacob freaks out and says, wait a minute, I worked for Rachel. And so Laban says, okay, well, you can have Rachel as well, but you got to work another seven years for it. So he works another seven years and he gets Rachel. And so here we see that (laughs) Jacob, the one who is trying, his name being the supplanter, the replacer, who is deceiving his entire family, is now getting deceived himself. And then from that point on, God comes to to Jacob and he tells him it's time to go. He basically so he's been working for his brother for tw- or his uncle for 20 years and God says to him it's time to leave. And this is a very key scripture for us to understand is that God comes to him and tells him this. And the reason why is that when he leaves, he begins on his way back. And as he gets and his brother, his uncle chases him and so forth. But as he gets past all this, he finds out that his brother Esau is coming to meet him. And the last thing we heard from Mm -hmm. about his brother Esau was this, is that I'm going to kill Jacob once dad's dead. Right. I'm going to kill him. And so in his mind, as he's traveling back, he's thinking Esau is going to kill me. And God had told God told me to go to this place. God told me to leave, and here I am, and I'm going to be killed, right? And so for he's in a very difficult. He finds himself in a difficult, hard, scary place, and and this is a powerful, powerful moment because this leads up to the climax really of his life in in many ways, where. Jacob has an encounter with God where we we were so familiar with this passage, but he wrestles with God. And it talks about how he begins to wrestle with God. But I think what's so neat about it, too, is that it's not that he went and found God to wrestle with him, but God came to him. And if you think about even Hmm. with God telling him to leave his uncle's house, it was this. God was leading him to this event. It was not that God, all of a sudden, Jacob met with God, started wrestling with him, and he beat God down and made him cry, uncle. Right. It's not that picture at all. But it's this is that God said, OK, you, you've been with Laban enough. I'm calling you out because I have an I have an encounter with you that's going to happen soon. and I'm leading you to it. And so God allowed him to encounter him and God came to him and began and, and Jacob began to wrestle with him. And he began to ask God, bless me. Right. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God did. And it says he prevailed with God. Right. He prevailed over God in that mm-hmm. sense. And it's not that he beat God down. God, ultimately, we know God has all strength, but God allowed it because God wanted to change him that night. And he did. So from that moment on, 
Jacob began, it, it talked about how when he would wrestle with God, God touched his hip and his joint came out of socket. And the Bible says that for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. And that was to signify the change that happened in Jacob that mm-hmm. night. And it just shows you guys that God led him to this place. God led him to a difficult place where he had to cry out to God and say, God, you have to bless me, right? Or else I'm not going to make it. God did it. God orchestrated it. And God does that same thing in our lives today where he orchestrates events in our lives to lead us to a place where we will cry out and have an encounter with him so that he can change us. And one of the most beautiful things that I love about this part of the story is that while he's wrestling with God, God calls out to Jacob and he says, what's your name? He asks him, he says, what's your name? And he responds, Jacob. And we know that Jacob meant supplanter or, you know, de- replacer, almost kind of like a deceiver. That was what Jacob, that was who Jacob was. And so basically what he's asking him here, he knows his name, y'all. It's not like he doesn't know his name. What he's asking him here is he's asking him to reveal himself basically for who he is and basically asking him, come to the end of yourself. And so he responds, I am a replacer. I am a supplanter. And then he tells him, but that's not who you're going to be anymore. Your name is not going to be supplanter anymore, but it's going to be Israel. It's going to be wrestle with God. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And so from here on out, we don't see Jacob as a supplanter anymore. We see that God has radically changed him to wrestled with God. Man, that's awesome. And and just to close up this part is that one of the amazing things, too, is that when you look at Jacob's life up until this point, he never called God his own God. He always said, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and he would leave it at that. He never said he and the God of Jacob. Mm-hmm. But in this point, in this part of the scripture, he does. It's the first time we see it. He says this particular thing at the end. It's in, in chapter 33, verse 20. He says, And he set up an altar there, and he called it God, the God of Israel. Meaning mm-hmm. this was the first time Jacob pronounced, You know what? It's not just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, my father, but now he's the God of Israel. He's my God. Mm-hmm. And that encounter changed him for the rest of his life. And from that point forward, Jacob became a man who sought after, not just like, I want to do what I want to do and run my own life, but he sought after living for God in such a way that we'll learn about as we read in the next week and so on. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all so much. The Serpent Crusher is coming through this line. It's very exciting. Thank y'all for listening. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.